You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. All right, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to jump right in tonight. Y'all ready for this? All right. I'll give you a second to get there. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're actually going to start off where we started last week in verse 1. Read and recap a little bit that we're going to jump in and finish out this letter. Seven weeks. This is going to be our, I think our ninth book of the Bible to get through in the past few years. So let's knock another one out tonight. If you got it, say got it. All right, everybody else still searching. We'll get there eventually. Here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes this, I charge you in the presence of God. Remember, he's talking to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So last week, this is what we covered, and I just want to recap a couple things because I think it's important. Paul gives Timothy some instructions here as he's going to continue to lead after Paul's death. And he essentially says, this is how you're supposed to lead. This is how you're supposed to pastor. This is how you're supposed to preach. And for us, now there's some people in here who can take these words as instructions to them because you're called one day to be a pastor, one day to be a preacher. But all of us can hear the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy and see this as four qualities to look for in a pastor or a preacher that we're going to actually sit under their teaching um, or, or trust enough to submit our our souls uh, to the care of. So I want to go over there very quickly again. So he says, verse 2, preach the word. So the first thing is, is do they preach the word? Do they preach the word or do they preach themselves? Do they preach the word or do they preach some agenda that they have? Do they preach the word um, or do they only preach the things that they feel like will grow the crowd or the things that they feel like are easy to teach? Do they preach the whole counsel of God? Second thing is, are they prepared in and out of season? Really the big thing here is, does a sermon that they preach with their actions off the stage line up with the sermons that they preach from the platform, from the stage, when the lights are on. Uh, So in other words, does their life line up? Like, is there conviction in what they're saying? Not just conviction in their voice, but conviction in their actions. Then the third thing was, do they reprove, still can't say that word, do they reprove and rebuke? The word reprove means to expose, the word rebuke means to command, so do they expose? Do they expose your sin with the truth of God's word? And do they call you out on it? You know, look, just like it says there in verse, uh, what is it, verse uh, 3 and 4, you know, our tendency is to flock to preachers and teachers that we enjoy hearing. And that's not necessarily bad, but the reality is, is if, all you, if, if you always enjoy hearing the guys or the girls that you're listening to, then you're probably not getting the truth. Because the reality is the truth oftentimes hurts as it exposes and calls us out on our sin. So do they reprove and rebuke? And then lastly, fourth, do they encourage with patience and careful instruction? And here's essentially what that means. How do they encourage you? It's not so much whether or not they encourage you, but how. Do they encourage you by telling you how good you are? Or do they encourage you by telling you how good Jesus is? 
Do they encourage you with telling you what you're capable of doing, or do they encourage you by telling you what Jesus is capable of doing in your life? So that's four things to look for as you're looking for people that you're actually going to listen to and, and take to heart what they're saying. But then he goes on and he talks about his departure, and he alludes to this race, and he says he's finished running the race. And the implication in that for our life is that we are all running a race, every single one of us. And the reality is races don't last long. You remember us talking about that? And some of you, you're running a sprint. Not everybody's guaranteed a marathon. Not everybody's guaranteed 80 years or more. Some of you are running sprints. But either way, even marathons don't last very long, so your race is going to be over before you realize it. And so the question is, are you running a race worth running? Are you running a race that matters? And is the race that you're running... Not is it impacting eternity, it's impacting eternity, but more so how is it impacting eternity? Is it impacting it positively or negatively? And some of you might think, well, it's really a wash. Look, if it's a wash, then it's impacting it negatively. And so then we get into what he says in verse 9. This is where we pick up this week. And he says, after, after the, the, the challenge from last week to Timothy, he goes on and he says, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. And let me just say, this is, this is, this is my challenge tonight. Do your best to come to me soon. This is all I want to say. Join me. Join me in leaving what you have planned for your life and follow Jesus wherever he wants to take you. Let me, let me kind of tell you how my life played out going to college. Like when I went to college, I had, um, I had this plan for my life. My, my microphone broke right before I got up here, of course. Uh, so I'm working with one ear here. So if, it keeps, if I keep fooling with it, that's why. Um, Going into college, I had this plan. I was going to play basketball. I went, to, I went to school in Arkansas to play basketball. My thought was I'll play four years of basketball. Um, I'll, I'll get scholarships starting my sophomore year. Uh, maybe after that, get to play overseas or something uh, in some, you know, low, trashy league or whatever because uh, I wasn't good. And then I realized I wasn't even really good enough to play at the Division II college basketball level. So God removed basketball from my life. But my plan was to play basketball and be good at it and all that stuff. Well, after freshman season, God made it clear that that wasn't his plan for my life. So he graciously removed that. I didn't see it as gracious at the time. So after basketball was over, I began to make new plans for my life. Met a girl, uh, thought I was going to marry her. Uh, she and I talked about getting married, dated for a long time, three years or so. And in, that, in the midst of all that, changed my major to business. And my plan became then to go into business, uh, get a job right out of college, actually before college was over, so that I could make money, so that I could afford to marry this girl. That was my plan. Then God just absolutely wrecked those plans. It was in college, and thankfully, because then I wouldn't have gotten to marry Leslie, but in, in college, God used three dudes in my life to help expose the reality, and you've heard me say this a lot, but this is my last chance to say this to you, so I'm going to say it again. God used three dudes in my life to expose the reality that I had embraced this watered-down version of, of Christianity, this watered-down version of the gospel. And there's two ways in which it was watered down. One, it was watered-down grace, and two, it was a watered-down call on my life. And here's what I mean. When I say it was watered down grace, essentially what I'm saying is so much of what I had heard growing up and really seen examples of growing up, so much was about what I could do for Jesus instead of what Jesus has done for me. Uh, I, I always, and because of that, I always felt behind in the scales. Like I always felt like my sin was constantly outweighing God's grace. Does anybody else in here ever feel that way? Like I felt. So much, and, and honestly, when I don't continue, as, as, as Zach said weeks ago, if I don't continue to feed on the gospel, then I start to, I start to, uh, to what's the word, I start to um, end up back in this place of, uh, 
of feeling this way. But, but I, start, I, like I start to feel, I started to feel, I always felt prior to realizing I'd embraced this watered-down version of grace, I always felt like I had done too much. I'd always felt like I'd sinned too much or screwed up too much or, or gone too far, fallen too far. And, and I, I was always carrying around this guilt and this shame that from, from things that I had done in my past, things that I was doing in my present at that time, like, that I didn't think I was ever going to be able to shake. And I'm sure, I know for a fact there's so many people in this room, if not everybody in this room, can relate to that. But because I'd embraced this watered-down version of grace, like, I was constantly dealing with that. But here's what I started to see is God's grace is very potent. God's grace is thick. I love the way that Paul describes it in Ephesians 3.18. We studied this a couple Sundays ago here on Sunday morning when I taught. Ephesians 3.18, Paul prays for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that you'd be able to comprehend or understand how broad, how long, how, uh, how high, and how uh, deep God's love is. God's love is broad. In other words, it covers everything. There's nothing that it cannot and does not cover. God's love is long in that you cannot outrun his love. You cannot outrun his grace. You can't, like some of you are thinking, I've gone too far, I've run too far, I've screwed up too much. You can't be outside of the reach of God's love and grace. God's love is high. It's taller. His stack of love is taller than your stack of sin, which means the scale always tips his direction. His love always outweighs your sin, and his love is deep. Some of you are like, man, I, I get all that, but man, my sin is so deep, it's so dark, it's so dirty, it's so disgusting. I picture going deeper and deeper in the water, like in the ocean. Eventually you get to a point where light doesn't penetrate the water. And some of y'all, that's, what, that's like describes where you feel right now. You've sinned so much, you've gone so deep, that there's no way that the light of the gospel can penetrate down that far. But oh, that's not what the Bible says. That is not what Jesus tells us. That's not... That's not what God has done for us through Christ. His love, his, the light of the gospel penetrates well beyond the deepest place your sin could go. I had embraced, though, a watered-down version of grace and God's love, so I didn't understand that until God graciously helped me see that through these, through these guys. But the other thing I'd embraced was this watered-down call on my life. So basically, I thought that you could be a Christian without really having a serious, urgent call to be engaged and involved in God's mission. Like, I thought it was possible to have or to pursue both, you know, the American dream and Jesus at the same time. Like, I thought it was possible to pursue uh, all these things that were constantly being told by our peers and by the news and by commercials and by, you know, New Girl or whatever show you're watching right now. All these things. I, I was convinced I could pursue all of that, but also pursue Jesus. And I was convinced of that, one, because of the examples that I was constantly seeing in my life of people who were saying, I'm a Christian, but they were also pursuing the American way. But also, I, I felt that way. Or I, I, I believed that because of the sermons that were being preached. It was soft, watered down. Gospel, watered down call on my life. Not just watered down grace, but watered down call. And here's the reality. The call to follow Jesus is not optional. It's not just for some. It's for all of us. Like you are either a Christian or you're not. I, I always refer back to Luke 14, 25 to 33. I've preached from this a bunch. In fact, I preached from it last fall. And that's because this is the text that Jesus really used in my life in college and continues to use today. So I'm going to refer to it again right now. There's really four things that Jesus says in Luke 14, 25 to 33. First thing he says is, if you're going to follow him, you have to love him more than anything else, more than your family, more than your friends, more than anything. Second thing he says, is, if you're going to follow him, you've got to be willing to suffer, even die, in order to follow him wherever he takes you. 
Third thing he says is that Jesus, he, he came to build his kingdom and battle for the hearts of mankind, which means he's looking for people who will join him in that mission. He's looking for builders and battlers, workers, warriors. And then the fourth thing is he, uh, he says that in order to follow him, we've got to go all in. We can't, we can't go halfway. There's no middle ground. You can't straddle the line. You're either in or you're out. If you're straddling, then you're out. It's good as being out. If you've been involved in this ministry for any period of time, I hope that you've seen this. Seen this non-watered-down version of the gospel. Non-watered-down grace, non-watered-down call, not only through what I've preached, but also hopefully through my actions. And honestly, um, I, I hope that Leslie's and my move to Iowa ends up being the best sermon that I've ever preached. My, my prayer is that you would see this move to, I, to Iowa um, as, as me and Leslie putting our money where our mouth is. And even more than that, putting our future, putting our, putting our, essentially our lives where our mouth is. My, my prayer is that you would see it as us actually living out what we stand up here and teach uh, every week. And I, I don't want what I'm uh, about to say to me misinterpreted because Leslie and I are really excited about this move. We're really excited to go to Iowa. We're excited. We're honored. Uh, we're very humbled to be invited to be a part of the SALT network. Um, but I also don't want you to get the wrong idea of what we're going to do. Th- this move for us is not about us climbing the ladder. This move for us is not about uh, my career. This move for us is about the mission of God. Leslie and I, I'm gonna be honest with you, we're leaving a city that we love, we're leaving people that we love, um, many of whom have, have, some of whom have have come back tonight. Uh, I saw Kyle Wright upstairs, one of the dudes I love probably more than anybody uh, I've met in the past six and a half years here. Um, but we're leaving the people that we love. We're leaving a ministry uh, that we love. And not only a ministry that we love, but a ministry that we have huge dreams and, and aspirations for. Um, we're moving a lot farther away from family. Uh, we're still going to be 10 hours away from my family. We're now going to be 14 hours away from Leslie's family. We're moving to the freaking Arctic tundra. <laughs> it was negative 15 degrees last time we were there. And that's not in the middle of the night. That was at noon. It was negative 15 degrees at noon last time we were there. Uh, my sister lived in Iowa for five years uh, a while ago. I didn't go visit her once because I was like, it's Iowa. I'm not going to go to Iowa. Why, why would I go to Iowa? Don't ever say that. If your sister moves somewhere you don't want to go, make sure you go there or God's going to send you there. Um, and, and even though the network of churches that we're joining is, is already doing some awesome and sig- some significant things in the Midwest, we're going somewhere basically to start from scratch. Uh, the next two years, I'm going to be the teaching pastor and the college pastor 